Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Andrew Steele podcast. We're back as promised. We are relaunching today with a special episode. Um, I do apologize for the silence before but we are back and better than ever and I'm delighted to say that I am joined on today's show by my good friend Chris Cotillo, the Boston Red Sox beat writer for the for MassLive.com rather. Big interesting week for the Red Sox with Theo Epstein coming back, the guy who smashed not one but two generational franchise curses with, with the Red Sox and then the Cubs obviously winning two World Series. So we get into that, what's been a really frustrating season for Red Sox fans their expectations for the year ahead, being in an absolute juggernaut of an American League East, storylines to follow in spring training, and then we kind of riff on a couple of general baseball stories um, before finishing with some Super Bowl predictions and Taylor Swift predictions, which is very apt for this week. Um, I am trying to get a Super Bowl-related guest for another podcast to go out this weekend, but... Obviously, with it being the Super Bowl week, everyone worth speaking to is in Vegas and have incredibly busy schedules. So I'm not going to promise on that one. If I can, I will try and get one more episode out this weekend. Um, But I'm going to kind of riff on the Super Bowl myself a little bit in a minute. But just know that I am trying to get a football-related guest to do a Super Bowl preview this weekend. If not, I have got someone coming on next week who's actually in Vegas this week and will be at the game to break all that down as well as is doing autopsy on New York sports, which never fails to disappoint. And I think the Jets are going to be a hot mess again, but I will save that self-inflicted torture for another episode. Um, before we get into Super Bowl talk, uh, this episode and this podcast is brought to you by the steel sports bar which you can read at the steel sports bar.substack.com the everyman sports site for the everyman sports fan so let's talk super bowl it feels bigger this year because it's in vegas and there are a lot of storylines obviously betting in sports is kind of at the forefront and I don't think Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, really covered himself in glory. I, I mean, to be honest, he kind of shot himself in the foot by having an invite-only press conference on Monday, the day that media are travelling in. Um, you know, I, I just think that's a bad optic. It, it's you know, it's almost as if he's not trying to hide the fact he's he's trying to avoid criticism and, and addressing the hard issues. And, you know, his his continued defence of the officiating, which has been an absolute dumpster fire all year, is is just laughable. But um, there's other storylines, including Taylor Swift. Now, let, let me, I'm going to go on a mini rant. So indulge me, you know, come close, come close to your speaker, you know, come on, come on, pull up, pull up a little bit more. There you go. Right. I don't understand the hatred for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I mean, firstly, what's so wrong with a man and a woman being in love? You know, it's their lives and it does seem genuine. I think at this point, if it was fake, we would know about it um, with people like TMC floating around. So I think that's out the question. And, and I mean, for all the, the chads and the dads, whatever they're being called, they, you, you're just angry old men. Get a life. Get a life. You just... You know, why are you 
rile yourself up in this, you know, venomous spiel and anger and spit it all out all over social media, you know, all you're doing is embarrassing yourself. They're not, you know, Taylor and Travis aren't there, hearing it? And even if they do, I don't think they give a crap, to be honest with you. Um, but it's, the whole thing's bull crap. It, it is just, I, I mean, all it's doing is, is bringing more eyes to, to the game of football, which is a good thing. You know, I, I mean, when you've got Swifties putting together tribute video after tribute video of Jason Kelsey on social media, that's when you know that they're, they're hooked. And I mean, the Super Bowl is a, is a must-watch event anyway, but it's going to have so many more eyes on it this weekend because of the Taylor Swift factor and, and you know, is she going to make it in time from, from Tokyo? So I honestly don't get the hate. I think it's a sad reflection of the world we live in now where everyone's in conflict with each other, no one can agree on anything and there's always got to be a, an, ulterior, an ulterior motive to even the, the purest of things. Um, and yeah, it, it's just kind of another another reason to kind of you know shake your head and 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 be angry at who what humanity is today man that was a struggle to get that out um come on andrew this is your first show back um but yeah so i i mean there's that story but i mean the game itself i mean i think the entire country other than san francisco we're rooting for the lions because as sports fans we can all understand what it's like to be a Lions fan for years and years of suffering and losing and of garbage teams and no hope and, and to see them, you know, go on the run they did this year. And, and not just that, but the, the fact that they play good old school bully ball and, and they've got a head coach in Dan Campbell who I would run through walls for. And, and I think he's right to go for the, the those two um, four downs. I, I mean, you don't change who you are in the in the biggest game, and sometimes things don't just work out. And there are other reasons they lost that game, not just those calls. But they were a really fun team to root for. But the 49ers were the best team of football all year, except that free game span and and that absolute um, embarrassment to the Raiders on on Christmas Day to the Ravens. It was the Chiefs who played the Raiders, sorry. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, they were the best team in football. I really like their weapons. You know, Chris McCaffrey is, is probably the one of the funnest players to watch in the league. He, he's a do-it-all running back who, who you know, he, he is your kind of prototypical five-tool player. Um, and then Brock Purdy, you know, the last pick in the NFL draft. And, and, I, and I mean, we also have to stop with uh, Brock Purdy's no good. He's taken the 49ers to a couple of championship games and now the Super Bowl. So I, I think the time is gone to say that he's no good. He clearly is. Is he on the level with Mahomes? No, but very few people are. I, I think Purdy showed in that Lions game that he has the wherewithal and the ability to it to save plays and play hero ball when he needs to. This is going to be a different challenge. That Chiefs defense is legit and the biggest reason they're here. I mean, they've held teams to 13.7 points um, in the postseason, 17.3 points in the regular season. You know, that's just dominant. And, and Steve Spagnola, um, 
all right, not a good head coach, but he's a damn good defensive coordinator, you know, Hall of Fame worthy for what he's done and, and the and the championship defenses he's he's put together both in Kansas City and elsewhere. Um and then there's Mahomes. I mean, look, if the Chiefs win on Sunday, we're having dynasty talk. That's all we're having for breakfast, lunch and dinner for the next few weeks because it's then a third Super Bowl for Mahomes in four Super Bowl appearances before his 29th birthday. Now, he's still a way away from getting to seven and matching Brady, but three is certainly a lot closer than two, and it's just the way he's done it. I mean, he is special, and if they win, I, I think we can start talking about Dynasty, and we can start talking about what to, you know, what could follow. Um, he's going to be in rarefied air if 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 he wins. I mean, he'll join Brady with seven, Terry Bradshaw with four, Joe Montana with four, uh, Joe Mon- Montana, sorry, and Troy Aikman, who's got three. So if he wins, he's going to be in very rare company. So I, I think there's a bunch of storylines to really get into. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. You know, there's also the... The fact that Carl Shanahan has has been to two Super Bowls, one as an OC, one as a head coach. Obviously, the one as head coach, they lost to the Chiefs a few years ago, so he's going to be looking to make make history. So I'm really lo- looking forward to this. It, it does feel bigger because it's in Vegas. Uh, I'm still not sure about the halftime show with Usher. I, I don't. I'm. I forgot he was even on the scene, but you know, I'm prepared to to stand corrected on that. But it's always a a really special time in the sports calendar. And it also means once the Super Bowl is done, baseball season is here. And with that, I am going to pass you over to my conversation with Chris Cotillo. Enjoy, and I will hopefully see you at some point over the weekend. Here we go. So I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend, Chris Cotillo, who has been on the podcast a few times. Chris, um, when preparing for this, not only were you the very first guest on the Andrew Steele podcast, you were the first guest on the relaunched edition, and you also have the most appearances now. So I feel like I need to get you like a WWE belt or hat like they do in, in the NHL after wins. Um, so I need to get you something, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you do the Hall of Fame, I think I'm a first ballot guy, so that's uh, it's it's an honor. Oh, for sure, you're you're in the um, you're getting into the Andrew Steele podcast Hall of Fame with uh, roller skates on, that's for sure. But no, um, good good to talk to you again. Um, I think last time we, one of the last times we spoke was around this time of year, and I'm not going to ask about your off season because there is no such thing as an off season for for sports writers that doesn't exist, but it's been an interesting one for the for the Red Sox in, in particular, and we'll dive into that. But I want to kind of start with the most topical thing, which was the return of Theo Epstein. You were all over that. You and uh, your colleague, Sean McAdam, did a kind of a deep dive into, you know, the why, how. Um, so just kind of take us into that. Uh, that that process because obviously it's it's a significant return so so just explain 
why is he back? Kind of the role he's going to play, and why is this significant? Yeah, I think you know the the first uh, thing that kind of jumped out to me was you know that it was a surprise that he's back in the fold in any way, shape, or form. You know, like the the fact that he is back with the Red Sox at all, I think, caught people off guard, caught me by surprise on Friday. I, I think, you know, the. The important thing is he's not returning to the old role he had at GM. Um, he's not returning in a day-to-day baseball role with the Red Sox. He's a senior advisor and a part owner for FSG, Fenway Sports Group, that you know owns the Red Sox. And if a part-time consultant, if someone needs to call him and ask for his opinion or ask for his advice, he's going to be there for it. Um, and so while the time spent or the day-to-day or any of that's not going to be close to him being a full-time employee, and he's going to have his hand in a lot of different things across the globe, whether it be Liverpool or the Penguins or, um, you know, the racing or the PGA, whatever it is that they're doing. It's still, I think, important just because it's another voice in the room and it's a very adult, accomplished voice in the room. And it's one that holds a lot of weight with that group just because, you know, John Henry and Tom Warner worked with this guy for eight, nine years and really trusted him. That's a huge deal. Sam Kennedy, the president of the Red Sox, and Mike Gordon, the president of FSG, very much trusts Theo. They're both very close to him. And, you know, uh, Craig Breslow, the chief baseball officer here, Theo's his mentor. He's the one who hired him with the Cubs and brought him in the fold the first time. So, um, you know, there's kind of that in terms of, again, in terms of time, in terms of title, it's minor. But in terms of, hey, when this guy speaks, he's going to hold the attention of the room. And I think that's something that shouldn't be lost. Yeah, I mean, in in your um, in your reporting, sorry, getting some background. Um, yeah, in your in your in your reporting, you mentioned, and I know the narrative is out there that eventually he wants to get into some kind of ownership situation, be it him as the as the point man or as part of a consortium. Um, but still, this is a guy who smash two kind of century-wide franchise curses with with the Red Sox and and then the Cubs. He was I know he wasn't at the at the forefront, but he certainly played an active role behind the the rule changes that that breathed life into to baseball and and arguably helped save it if if that's not too dramatic. Um so just the fact that he is back in this kind of role and he's on hand for the front office and, and given what he what he did for this franchise before, even as a kind of mentality thing for the entire organization to have someone like that involved is is just almost a game changer, isn't it? I, I I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean I again I think it's it's across the board of all their properties, not just, you know, um the Red Sox are not just Liverpool or not just the Penguins, but it's all their properties and just having that experienced voice of, you know, if Liverpool's going through the search for a new manager as they're going to be as Klopp leaves at the end of the year, you know, they're going to have to ask Theo Epstein, you know, what do you think a leader of this franchise should possess? You know, uh, it doesn't matter if he has never heard of the 20 candidates they're going to think of, which there's a possibility he hasn't, right? He's not a guy who's, you know, been involved in, in Premier League soccer ever. So, um, you know, with that, I think that lends itself to some help, you know, more naturally on the baseball side, but he can help anywhere. And I think that that's important. And it's just that, you know, trusted voice, that guiding light of, you know, Craig Breslow, 
calls him and says, hey, look, you know, I really think we need to go get this free agent, but our budget's here. How do I get John Henry to open up the purse strings? Or, hey, you know, I need to have this difficult conversation with Alex Gore about his future. How would you approach it? And just get the advice. It's not Theo that's going to be having those conversations like he did from 03 to 11 here or from, you know, 11 to 20 with the Cubs uh, or even, you know, as active as a role he had with MLB and the rule changes, like you said. But it's just somebody that can advise everybody around him. And the trust thing is a huge part of it where, you know, everybody at the top of the food chain with the Red Sox has a lot of trust in Theo Epstein from Henry to Warner to Kennedy and Gordon and to Breslow. And I think that can't that shouldn't be lost either. And just quickly on that, you know, on the fact that he's, his role is going to have many tentacles. I know that Sean mentioned on your podcast, the uh, Fenway Rundown, which is, um, you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts, everyone. So, so make sure you subscribe to that. But, um, what I found interesting was the, the portion about Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh, because being, being a hockey fan, Kyle has been referenced the hockey version of, few Epstein, so I kind of find that an interesting um, relationship to, to watch. But I'm going to play devil's advocate now, and I'm going to let the cynic come out of me for, for a minute. Obviously, a move like this isn't something that just happens overnight. It's obviously something that, that's been in the works for a while. But was, was the timing of the announcement curious to you in terms of almost this organisation going on the the PR offensive, you know, it comes the same week that the Orioles are, are sold or have reached an agreement and the same week they go out and, and get an elite starting pitcher and obviously the Yankees have made moves this, this offseason. So was was the announcement, not not the move, but was the announcement itself and the timing curious to you in terms of when it when it dropped? I mean, not really. I just think, you know, there's, there's no, like, great time for the Red Sox to do this in the last few months or the last year in terms of fan reaction because you know the fans have been upset for a while you know like it's not a reactionary thing you know I think the Red Sox have lost a step in the greater conversation compared to other teams for a while you know is it if they drop it in October after another last place finished and they look bad because they're not in the playoffs if they drop it in December when other teams are making moves at the winter meetings you know what I mean if they drop it in July when they don't have a good trade deadline it's just there's kind of like you know, I think that's, it speaks to the bigger issue of there aren't many great kind of periods for them right now with thing, the way things have been going. Um, but, you know, there I, I think it's more of the season's about to start. You know, the spring training's beginning next week. I head down a couple days. Like, it's just one of those where, you know, he's going to be on board for this season and people should know about it. Um, you know, they they did it in kind of a, you know, a muted way where they had, you know, the, the uh, conversation with Sportico, you know, uh, Kennedy was available to us yesterday at a, an event at Fenway. Um, there wasn't some big massive press conference or trying to make it this big deal. Um, you know, it really is just, they made the announcement and that's it. He's going to be a senior advisor and, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. It's not, you know, that he's taking over for, Craig Breslow. It's not that he's replacing Heim Bloom, who was fired in September. So I don't have a problem with when they announced it. Um, just I think just because of what I said, it's just they have not had many you know shining moments anyway in the last couple of years, and um, you know this might be one of them. And and I think it stands out uh, against that backdrop. And um, you know that's that's I think an overriding problem for the organization. Yeah, there was obviously the the, the full throttle comment. 
earlier in the off season. And, and I, I listen to a lot of New York sports talk and it's always the same deal with Yankees fans that they're not happy. They're not spending enough or they're not keeping up with this team or, and it's, it's kind of the Yankees perception of going out and buying championships and they're a big market team. And I think it's similar to the Red Sox in terms of, because they are a big market team, because they are a, a storied franchise. They're, they're a, a flagship franchise, not just in, in baseball, but in sports full stop. Um, yep. I think there is this, obviously, this delicate dance that I think you get dragged into a writer as well. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on your responsibilities in this, in terms of the, the red, the Red Sox scene from the outside in that it's a transitional period for them right now. But as a, as someone who covers the team on a daily basis, how do you dance that, that tightrope of these are the fans expectations. They're never going to change because these are the Boston Red Sox, but this is the report and I need to get across in terms of this is where the team is at and this isn't going to be the big bad Red Sox as, as they've been known. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think the the answer, the guiding light should always be the truth. You know, I've said and I've tweeted a billion times this offseason, you know, there was a bit of a perception, I think, that came in December or January that I would tweet out like, well, the Red Sox are a long shot on Yamamoto or they're a long shot in Imanaga or... They are uh, not leading the race for Teoscar Hernandez or whatever it is. Um, and fans would be like, you are just so negative and you are just kind of, you know, the, the classic pissing in the Cheerios on all of our yeah. hopes and dreams here of all these free agents we want to get. And my response or retort to that was pretty much the same all the time. Would you like me to lie to you and tell you they're signing Yamamoto when he's going to be a Dodger or Emanaga is going to be a Cub or you name it, right? Like, I'm just trying to tell people, I think, the facts. Um, and I think people did not really believe the way this was going at the beginning of the offseason. You mentioned the full throttle comment. You know, it wasn't too far after that where Sean and I and Chris Smith and the three of us at Mass Live and other reporters on the beat started hearing, you know, from people in the game that like they're not really going full throttle they're low balling and they're not really being aggressive and you know yeah they've made a few moves on the margins Verdugo to the Yankees they got Tyler O'Neill they traded Chris Sale for Von Grissom and they acquired um or they signed Giolito but outside of that they haven't done anything and if you look at the roster I think it's worse than it was a year ago um and I think fans just thought like well there's no way they could have lied to us by saying full throttle and then done this or try to cut payroll or whatever it might be when that's just been the reality of it. And they have, and you know, to their credit a little bit, they kind of cleaned that narrative up and were a little bit more forthright and a little bit more accountable at the winter weekend thing a couple weeks ago. Um, but they reap what they sow in a lot of ways in terms of, Hey, we're going to get fans excited and then we're going to set the payroll at a low level and we're going to cut payroll from last year and we're not going to go all in and all that type of stuff. And, uh, so again, it's not to the job's not to promote the team or to sell tickets or to tell you about the good days and ignore the bad ones. It's to tell you this is what's happening. And I think I've taken on more of a role this year interpreting that and giving my opinion. I think the podcast is obviously a natural ground for that. Um, and to tell people how I feel like, hey, fans, you have a right to be upset. You have a right to be angry because, you know, this is a team that told you they're going to go out and do big things and they lied right to your face. And you pay the highest ticket prices in baseball, and they've decided that, you know, 
they're going to basically slap you in the face and not add. I think it's a very, very legitimate thing. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not the role of the beat writer. I think, you know, having a podcast, I'm not just going to sit there and spout facts all day. Um, and, and Sean's obviously been covering the team for a long time and is very opinionated. And I think we're in lockstep on a lot of the stuff we talk about on there. Um, but, you know, the fans, uh, I joke a lot about you know, shooting the messenger and getting mad at me for reporting some of the stuff we have. But they're completely right about to be angry with this whole operation and everything that has transpired here. Um, and, and I, I, I understand it completely. Cause I think, I think it can be difficult sometimes because I think what can be forgotten is that, you know, we, you, me, everyone else in the industry, first and foremost, are sports fans, because that's why we got into this because we like sports. You know, I think the vast majority of us, are in it for that reason that there might be the odd person who just fell into it and maybe isn't that obsessed with sports. But I mean, you you know, your fandom's very well known and, and you're sporting that right now as, as I speak to you. And um, I, I don't exactly shy away from my fandom. And that's kind of what's always appealed to me about the American sports media is I think you can be open about your fandom and, and still do your job, but it's difficult in, in the sense that we have those, Reactions. I mean, I, I mean, everything you described there. I, I've seen it in a similar circumstance with the Mets. You know, they fell over themselves last year to say, "We're you know, we're still going to have a competitive team in 2024, despite completely selling off." And all their actions have, have proved otherwise. You know, they've they've not really addressed key areas. They've done some weird money ball crap to the bullpen, which is either going to go one way or the other. But I think again is. As someone who who is covering the sport more and more with with my website, and for for you who who covers a a team on a daily basis, we sympathise with those with those sentiments and those thoughts because we we have the same ones with our teams. But as you said, it is being professional and and doing your job to report the facts, basically. Yeah, I mean that's true, you know, and I think. You know, the thing that's really kind of stood out to me the last couple of years and, you know, I'm, I'm clear, I'm not shy about the fact that, you know, I'm not a Red Sox fan because it's for a few reasons. But number one, you know, the job doesn't really, you know, allow you to be, you get to be an objective observer. Um, and I grew up a huge Red Sox fan when you do the job, it's different, you know, um, the team I root for the most, North Carolina basketball, obviously, like I uh would be a pissed off fan. And I have been a pissed off fan when they have lost. And last year they were the number one team in the country. They didn't make the tournament. Um, and, you know, as a fan, I had some ideas why and wanted the people in charge to fix it. And like my, I belong and subscribe to the message boards. Right. And like, I understand that whole dynamic. Um, and so I understand Red Sox fans being so passionate about it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I lean into that a little bit. You know, I think it's not, you know, stoking the fires of the fan fan base or trying to, you know, increase the the outrage. And I think sometimes people perceive it that way. It's just, you know, look at the Athletic did a survey on the Red Sox fan base yesterday and how they feel, you know, about things at, at, at present. And it's a very, very ugly scene. And if the Red Sox don't realize that, that's on them. Um, and to me, you know, that's something that they have to kind of start caring about a little bit more. And as I wrote, as Sean and I wrote in the Theo piece, you know, that might be an acknowledgement that, you know, maybe they need to win fans back a little bit, but who knows? Maybe not, you know? So um, 
I understand it, and especially when you establish a culture of winning like they did here from 2004 to 2018, it makes it even worse when you don't. Um, fans are spoiled to an extent. That's definitely part of it. But they also deserve better, and they deserve at least to be told the truth. And I think that this organization, this ownership, has fallen short in a lot of ways when it comes to that. So we're spring training a week or so, less than a week away from you know pitches and catches reporting. If, if you could give a you know, a neat synopsis of what they did this offseason, what may still be to come and, and what you feel that they should have done or may still need to do. What would what would that synopsis be? Yeah, I mean they they have kind of reshuffled a little bit without, you know, getting better, I think, or getting, you know, significantly worse on the pitching side. It was very clear they needed to make rotation additions. That was clear to anybody who was paying attention last year. Um I thought, you know, heading in full throttle meant they'd sign one big time starter and one mid rotation guy, whether that be somebody like Yamamoto, Montgomery, or Snell, or make a trade for George Kirby or Lazardo, and then go out and get somebody like Giolito or, uh, you know, re sign Paxton or sign Imanaga. One, like, I thought it was going to be two of those moves. And what they've done is very different. They signed Giolito, which made sense, and that made the rotation a little bit better only to turn around and trade Chris Sale the next day. Um, is Chris Sale the Chris Sale that we saw six, seven years ago? Absolutely not. But he's a guy who I think still has a high ceiling and, you know, would have on a lot of in a lot of uh, weeks been the number two or, you know, maybe the number one guy in this Red Sox rotation. Um, and so, you know, they added stability uh, and lowered the ceiling, I think, a little bit by swapping out Giolito for Sale. Giolito's a guy that's got, or, I mean, Sale for Giolito. Giolito's a guy that's going to give him a lot of innings. He's been doing that for a while with the White Sox, and obviously he bounced around last year. And Sale's a guy that, while the ceiling is still there, obviously injuries have been the issue. So they add innings there. Uh, quality probably takes a little bit of a hit, and that's it in the rotation to a group that, you know, has Brian Bayo, Cutter Crawford, Nick Pavetta, and then a competition with. Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck, Josh Winkowski, and maybe if they add somebody else, they should. I don't know if they will. And so you look at that rotation group and you think, basically, is it better or worse than it was a year ago? You take not only Sale out, but Paxton. You bring in Giolito. Tough to say that it is. Um, and in the other parts of the roster position player side, you know, two of their great run producers from last year, one's now gone, or, you know, really two and a half, I would say. Two are now gone. Justin Turner is a member of the Blue Jays. Alex Verdugo is a member of the Yankees. Verdugo, on balance, had a very average year. He had high highs and low lows. I think his act had run out, and so that's okay. But have they really you know, replaced a production of him? Justin Turner, who's a Blue Jay, and Adam Duvall, who's a free agent? I think it's hard to say that. They added Tyler O'Neill from the Cardinals, as I mentioned. They added Vaughn Grissom, who's going to be the everyday second baseman from the Braves. But... You know, neither O'Neill or Grissom have the track record of major league success on the offensive side that Turner, Duvall, and even Verdugo have. So it's tough to see those two guys replacing those three guys, even with some younger players like Willie Abreu stepping up and you get a full year of Trevor Story, which they didn't have a year ago and things like that. So the rotation, I think, is worse than it was a year ago. The lineup, I think, is worse than it was a year ago. Um, and when you start an offseason saying full throttle and have this be the result on February 6th, again, fans have a right to be mad. The question comes down to what they want to spend. If it is uh, their payroll, you know, projects to be around 190 to 200 right now, depending if you're baking in the potential deadline additions and incentives and all that type of stuff. 
the CBT, as everybody knows, is $237 million. They're not going to get close to that. They said they're going to be lower than last year, which was two twenty five. I don't know if they're going to get close to that. You know, Montgomery is still out there, and he fits. Snell is still out there, and he, you know, theoretically would fit Jorge Soler. Different guys like that, but, you know, they have just shown that they're not willing to play in the high part of the market. They're willing to make incremental, marginal moves, even, you know, giving a guy like Giolito $19 million, You know, that was met with, you know... Um, really uh, more cost-saving moves by dealing sale and Verdugo and all that. So the payroll is the big question. I don't think there's a ton of evidence to say that it's going to go up from where it is right now, which, is, again, is right around 200, which I think is a little bit embarrassing for the organization. So they should sign Montgomery. I don't think they will. Um, and it looks like another year of trying to you know, bridge the gap from one core to another. The problem is they've been doing that for four or five years now, You know, and other than – you know, a little bit of a miracle run in 2021. You know, they missed the playoffs in 19 and were a last place team in, you know, 20, 22, and 23. You mentioned Justin Turner there. Uh, that that I, I still can't quite get my head around the fact that he's not a member of the Boston Red Sox again, especially given that all the reports were that he was, he was interested in, in returning. You did a really good insightful story on him and kind of what he brought to the team on the field but but off it as well in terms of his his, his leadership and I think you know he, he's a player everyone can kind of get behind because of how he plays the game what were your takeaways from covering him for, for, from the year and seeing him up close yep a lot you know I think he uh yeah I think here we'd obviously had you know, on the Red Sox, there have been a lot of guys who have been leaders and been there for a long time. You know, a lot of guys that predated my start of the beat in 2018, whether it be superstars like, you know, Mookie, Xander Bogarts, Devers, uh, or even just really accomplished veterans on the pitching side, Sale, Price, Porcello, Craig Kimbrell was here in 2018. I mean, those teams were stacked. Even guys like Ben Attendee, Christian Vasquez, um, you know, Trevor Story coming in. And I think, you know, last year was a big change leadership-wise for the Red Sox because Xander Bogarts left, um, J.D. Martinez left, and they needed somebody else to step up. And, you know, Turner, without um, ever being here before or ever, you know, playing anywhere other than L.A. for the last 10 years, I know he was in New York and Baltimore before then, like, he came in and stepped up and was the leader from day one, the unquestioned leader of the team, and played that role perfectly, was very well-liked, and kind of the Red Sox went as he went. It was a lot of leading by example, playing through injury, saying the right things, doing the right things, posting, playing different positions. He was the consummate teammate and pro. Um, I think positionally he wasn't the perfect fit for the Red Sox anymore because they want to rotate that DH spot and probably get Yoshida more time there. But to me, if it cost you one year at $13 million, pay the guy, add him to the roster, and figure out where he fits in later. Um, and I just think that you know they're, they're self uh, inflicted financial uh, issues. To me, uh, you know, they they probably tell the whole story here, and and no one's copying to what they are. Um, but but to have a guy like Turner walk out the door, and especially to go to a division rival on a reasonable deal, I think was a little bit of a loss, and one that even if it was expected, you know, still does hurt the Red Sox just because. Uh, you know they they shouldn't have to be in the in the boat like that ever, and uh, that's something that uh, I think people were a little bit upset about last week. But you know, regardless, that's that's you know kind of what 
uh, what fans are upset about, and I think rightly so. Yeah, I, I think obviously Turner's going to be, I think, in my opinion, a really good fit for that Blue Jays team because they've kind of been on the come for a while now and haven't quite taken that next step that, that has been expected of them, especially if you look at that lineup and how talented that is. So, so putting um, someone who's still very productive in that lineup, but also with all the leadership and experience and tangibles, as, as you mentioned, is, is going to help them. You know, we talked about the Yankees in terms of what they've added this year, although I, I still think they themselves need another top-end starter. Um, right. And obviously what, what um, you know, Baltimore's gone and done. And and I, I think, as we discussed with the kind of mental boost that you get from a Theo Epstein coming back, I think for that organisation, knowing that they've got a very rich ownership group coming in and what that could spell for them, that's going to give them a significant mental boost. And then, you know, the raise of the raise that they're, they're always going to figure a way to be, to be competitive. So with that as the, is the backdrop, it, it, you know, it probably does look like it's going to be another tough year for the Red Sox. I know games aren't played on paper, but, and injuries can happen certainly, but if, if all things kind of stay equal as they are, are you expecting another a last place finish for this, for this team as currently constituted? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the division, as you outlined, is tough and just getting tougher. The Rays are always good. Toronto's beefing up. The Yankees, you know, are going to be good again. And Baltimore, you know, sees the window. And those young players should only get better. They add burns. They have new ownership. You know, it's scary, and it's going to be scary for a long time. Um, and I don't think, you know, the divisional realignment's happening anytime soon. So if the Red Sox really want to compete, they got to get their act together soon. You know, and I... Alex Cora said last year during spring training, you know, we finished last last year. You should project us to finish last again this year, and we're going to try to prove you wrong. We might hear that same speech next week in Fort Myers, too. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, you know, but I think if you look at it in any way, shape, or form, you should probably have the Red Sox last just because that's what where they are and, um, you know, where they project to be. You're shortly going to be getting ready for the the grind of swing training again and, and diving right back in if you know as you get ready to go what's the one development storyline um kind of maybe hidden thing under the hood that you're looking forward to to kind of getting your teeth stuck into and watching develop throughout the course of swing training for the red sox yeah i mean it's not really anything on the field it's just a commitment from ownership and you mm -hmm. know if they don't make any additions, which I don't expect them to do, you know, like, is it because they set this payroll limit at a crazy spot lower than they ever have? Uh, and why, you know, and how kind of the players react to that. I think Alex Cora's future is a major topic of discussion around here with that as a backdrop, you know, and, um, but that continues to be the thing. Like, this is really the group that's showing up at Fort Myers. Like, this is really the group that it's not better than last year. It might be worse, you know, um, and maybe that creates a chip on the shoulder of the players who are there. Uh, maybe it doesn't. Who's to say? So, um, you know, I think there's there's going to be a lot, obviously, to unpack. Again, another one the Red Sox have dealt with for a few years now is a lack of star power. Um, you know, like they don't have those big names on the team. Does Trevor Story have a good year to, uh, you know, get back to that level? Does Rafael Devers turn into even more of a superstar? any of these young players cost us take a step forward those are all big ones but i think this whole thing of like 
wait, you finished last and this is the roster you're going to bring out? Yeah. Like that, I think, is a very legitimate question. I, I want to ask you one general baseball question before I finish off with a Super Bowl prediction. So, obviously, as we mentioned at the top, I think 2023 was a really good year for baseball. The, the, the rule changes, I think, made things entertaining. Obviously, the pace of the game picked up. And I think the rule changes coupled with the infusion of talent that's in the game right now and, and the talent that's coming up. I, I just think that it was the year baseball needed. And, and and you know, with, with a year under their belts and everyone used to those rule changes, hopefully that continues going forward. But I've been thinking about this and I wanted your thoughts. So we know in the NHL and NBA and football to an extent, their free agency periods kind of come heavy and fast. You know, all the big guns go with, within the first day and then you've got some action on day two, but it's largely done within that first window. Baseball, as we know, is more of a marathon. I, I think this year it's six marathons on top of each other, given that we've got, you know, Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman still available would would it behoove baseball to kind of alter free agency and go to like an nhl nba model where it's like right this is going to be our free agency frenzy everyone signs within that that day or does it not because i i know obviously with the way baseball free agency falls obviously it's in the thick of football season and everyone's attention is on that so maybe it would get lost anyway but what are your thoughts on that? Is it worth almost tinkering so we get everything thick and fast, or do you think it's better for the sport for it to be the way it is? I think it's all right. I mean, there's different kind of drips and drabs where there's, you know, interest and this team's doing this. And in December you had Otani and Yamamoto, and now at some point you're going to have Montgomery and Chapman and Bellinger and Snell. And, you know, instead of there kind of being this gap where there's no news, it's not the worst thing, you know. And I think from a work-life balance, there's a couple times they could make you know, it a little easier, whether, you know, it be from a point in December to a point in January being a dead period. I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that because it helps the executives and the players too. Um, I don't have too much of a problem with it. You know, I think fans find stuff to be interested in. There's rumors every day. There's a signing every day. Um, you know, what's the alternative? You have all the free agents that happen and, you know, sign between December 1st and 15th, and then you wait oh, until spring training. Yeah. You know? So, I don't, I don't mind it as much as other people, um, but, you know, they're always looking at ways to get more interest in the game. You know, you don't hear a lot about, you know, there's months or months where, you know, more than months where you don't hear much about NFL transactions or NBA transactions or NHL transactions with baseball. You know, I, I think in a perfect world, all free agents would sign before spring training, you know, begins. I think it's not great for the sport to have four good players and a bunch of, you know, good major leaguers hanging out there as camps open next week um, because you want kind of that group that you're going to have together as you report, you do the team meeting. You know, I, I saw that firsthand two years ago, the Red Sox signed Trevor story and that was a lockout year. So it was a little bit different, but he came in, he had five games of spring training and took him like two months to get ready to go. And it's like, you know, just if we get this done in December or January, it'd be a little bit better, but, no deadline before then. Um, I think in a perfect world, teams want to have everything done. The Scott Boris effect is real where he delays these guys to sign until now. It's no coincidence the top four guys are all his. Um, and I think that's a little bit annoying and it hurts the player, you know, at the end of the day. 
on, on that note, because because personally, I, I do think it, it is as exciting as it can be. Have everyone signed? I think it keeps baseball and the conversation longer to have it spread out. But you know, Scott Boris is a clever guy. You know, he's not in the position he's in. If if Cody Bellinger signs tomorrow, it's not going to make much of a ripple because of obviously all eyes are on the Super Bowl and Taylor Swift right now. But if I'm Scott Boris, it's almost right. You get the Super Bowl out of the way. And then on Tuesday, just as everyone's attention starting to turn to baseball spring training, all four sign Tuesday. That I, I think if I I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but if I was Scott Boris, that'd probably be one way to to finish the offseason on a high and have all four because then everyone is starting to get into baseball mode and that's certainly a good lead into spring training. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that matters to him. Like, if if he's going to get $800 million for those guys combined, if he does it today or if he did it in November or if he does it next Tuesday, who doesn't care, you know? No, like, still going to get that money. I don't think the, the PR aspect of that matters. Um, you know, and baseball fans are going to pay attention. They're going to read everything no matter what. You know, we've seen that audience-wise. The Red Sox haven't literally made a move in a month, and people are still reading. People are still paying attention. So, you know. I don't think that that's a huge piece of it. I know it can get frustrating for fans. And I, again, I, I think the same thing in terms of like, all right, you know, spring training opens Tuesday, Jordan Montgomery, figure it out. Um, but if he doesn't have the offer and, you know, there's something also too on the player end, I guess, like Jordan Montgomery waiting to see who shows up to camp and, you know, yeah. maybe a number one starter somewhere blows out their arm and all of a sudden there's a need, you know. Um, that's a good point. You're not necessarily rooting for that uh, as a player who you know is friends around the game, but it's a real thing that happens. Um, and so, you know, I, I see the sides of it. I just, uh, you know, I don't think I don't think agents or players are concerned with the sports calendar as much as it looks like from the outside. Maybe um, let's finish on Super Bowl because it is Super Bowl week. Obviously, opening night was last night. Um, it's in Vegas, which which seems to make everything feel a little bit bigger. Um, so, two for you before I let you go. How do you see the game going and how many shots of Taylor Swift do you think we're going to get? And I'm not mad at the whole Taylor Swift thing as some other guys seem to be. I'm not, I, I think it's probably going to bring a lot more. I, I mean, you've got Taylor Swift fan accounts dedicating their entire day to Jason Kelsey tribute videos. So it, it's obviously doing something to get more eyeballs on, 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 on the NFL, not that it needs them. But um, yeah, I'm more interested in kind of how you how you see this game going because I, I think it's fascinating from the storyline perspective. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to win 31-24. Let's say just get that off the top of my head. Uh, okay, perfect. And and uh, they show Taylor Swift over nine and a half times. Let's say that um, this gives it a draw. But, but you know, look, it's you know, there's no fluke teams. It's two teams that have been you know, one's a emerging dynasty and one's been probably the best team in football all year. So to me, you can't beat that. Um, I'll be, I'll be watching and gambling along with everybody else with no rooting interest. So that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I was going to ask how how do you tip how do you typically spend a Super Bowl? How do you consume it? Yeah, I mean it's changed now because you know Super Bowl is pushed back a week, and so it, it's the day before spring training really starts. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday now. Uh, so last year, for the first time ever, we were in Fort Myers for it. Uh, this time, um, I'll be I'm going to the Celtics Heat game in Miami on Sat on Sunday, which is at two, and then probably post up somewhere and watch the game. So it'll be uh, I'll be doing the rare 
going to an event on the same day as the Super Bowl or going to a sporting event on the same day as the Super Bowl. It's not the Super Bowl, but um, be down in Florida. Yeah, no, that's the way to do it. I, I think Chiefs are going to win too. I think that defense is just too good. And uh, and I think there is something to be said for big game experience, um, which Mahomes has got plenty of. But um, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, I know um, it's, it's busy for you with spring training coming up. And while you're at spring training, I'm going to get that plaque ready to, to make you the first inductee into the Hall of Fame. But um, thank you for coming on. And I'm sure we'll speak throughout the baseball season. Anytime, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you.